welcome to the Group Home Riches Podcast. If you have the desire to be your own boss, create your own schedule, and become financially free while at the same time helping people in need, then you've come to the right place. At GroupHomeRiches.com, we teach people exactly like yourself how to get started in the group home business, and on this podcast, you're going to hear their stories firsthand. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Group Home Riches podcast. On today's episode, we have, I would say, one of the up-and-coming all-stars from the Facebook group. Andrew has opened a, quite a few properties, Has a sounds like he's got some real estate experience as well, so I am very curious to hear his story and, and what he's been doing. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. So before we kind of get into the details, I always like to ask, what made you find Group Home Riches in the first place? You know, what was the motivation to even start looking up how to do this stuff? I have been an investor for a little bit of time. Into 2019 is really when I started flipping and wholesaling. And we were just at a time where, you know, come 2021, the market's on fire. I'm still flipping and I realize rates are below 3%. I should hold on to these. I shouldn't flip them. But I wanted a better way than just a traditional long-term rental. And I had heard of group homes before. I had heard you could make good money and make an impact and like give back to the community. So I started looking for more information about how to do that. And the course is what popped up first. Uh, just lots of really good free content and then also you know, a deeper dive inside of the course. Beautiful. And where are you located? I'm in Northern California. And I, <laughs> I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it in my backyard. Yard, but since I was already flipping and trying to figure out a way to hold, I needed something to cash flow better too. Being most of our purchases were around 400, 450,000 uh, versus, you know, Ohio, you could buy a home for 60 grand. I really needed to make sure <laughs> I could make the numbers work. And this model made the most sense for me and, and really fit my values because I wanted to give back to. Perfect. Beautiful. So you got started in real estate investing and you mentioned wholesaling. Yeah. Didn't wholesale much. I tried to do it across the country uh, with you know virtual assistants and building a team. Honestly, just ended up spinning my wheels trying to do that and realized, man, I've been in real estate for 12 years in my area, selling homes, owning a brokerage. It makes more sense for me to work where I know and like have an, an advantage. So ended up wholesaling a deal locally uh, and then realized, man, I could just be the end buyer myself. So I didn't wholesale too much. That's competitive, <laughs> very competitive yeah. business. That's what me and Andy do that as well. So nice. you mentioned you had a brokerage. So why don't you just tell, why don't you tell us just the background? How did you get into real estate and what does that look like? Yeah. So I got into real estate back in 2011. The economy wasn't great. I was a teacher before that at a small private school and I had a degree in linguistics from a good school, but just couldn't find any jobs. So I ended up becoming a teacher, a teacher's assistant, actually. The school was fast growing. I ended up with my own class of third and fourth graders, but I was also recently married and six months into marriage, uh, we found out we were pregnant and I was making less than 30 grand. I was at the school from 7 a.m. or maybe 7.30 till about 6 p.m. because I did the after school program too. Like I did everything I could to get some money and our rent was going up and this baby was on the way. And I was just like, I can't spend my entire life at the school and get paid nothing. But my wife was a transaction coordinator for a real estate team. She did all their paperwork and they were doing a ton of foreclosures at the time, but they were doing like a hundred a year. 
So I met with the team leader and just was like, hey, I have a background in sales. I've done pretty well. I've done door-to-door you know, selling Comcast and selling dry cleaning to your door services. And I did pretty <laughs> well at that. And it just was like, hey, do you think real estate could be something I'd be good at? And he said, yeah, give it a shot. So by the end of the school year, I had my real estate license. It takes about four months in California. And man, one week out, I did my first open house and met somebody a week later, got them in contract on a home. And uh, that started my real estate career. That is so awesome. So you were making 30K and you were living in Northern California. Oh, yeah. And I mean, rents were about half of what they are now. So mm-hmm. we were in a two bedroom, one bath apartment for, I think it was 1200 a month. And it was about to go up to like 1400 And I honestly was like, I don't think we can afford this and diapers. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't much to live on. So the little people have a tendency to do that. Like, oh, wow, I need to get motivated and I need to make money, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I found out, it's a funny story. I actually found out that I was having my first son on my very first day of self-employment. <laughs> like, had to take, made the decision to like take the leap and like be self-employed. And my first day out of the safety, you know, safe job, is when I found out my son was coming. So <laughs> um, that'll drive you though. Yeah, it's I loved it. It was very motivating. And like you said, it was a driver. So very cool. So you were a teacher, not making much money, found out you were having a child, and that drove you to real estate. And about a week into it, you did your first deal, which is awesome. Yeah. And some door to door sales. I chuckled a little bit because I did that as well before with the uh, <laughs> Vacuum cleaners. <laughs> and oh, there you go. Kirby? Um, no, Rainbow. Rainbow's way better. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy did Cutco, you know, the knife thing. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Very cool. So you got into real estate just as an agent, you know, buying and selling. And then you got into flipping after that. Great. Yeah. And honestly, it was years. Like in real estate, you're taught to just sell more homes if you want to make more money. So I ended up building a team. That's where the brokerage came from. I just got to a point where I I couldn't sell any more homes myself. I remember one month I sold eight homes and I made a lot of money, but I barely saw my family. I was working all weekend, showing a ton of properties to buyers who wanted to look at, you know, 10 to 20 homes each. And it was just a crazy lifestyle. So it was, I was successful in most people's eyes, but I felt like I was letting my family down. So decided to build a team and then work on, you know, leverage and leadership. Ended up starting a brokerage 2016, Keller Williams office, and still have ownership in the office, got 160 agents, but I decided really to focus on investing in just my sales team in the last couple of years. Love it. Yeah. So you learned quickly with the real estate thing you had created. It was well-paying, but it was a job. You created a job yep. for yourself and then you just, you learned that you need to work on a business right? Exactly. And I think that shows up in our sober living homes as well. The way we built that is so that it doesn't take a ton of time for me because I have to focus on these other things. Uh, But man, the impact you can make when it's not all on you is so much bigger than if I was doing everything myself. Exactly. It's more effective. You know, you're more effective. You're focusing on high ROI activities. You're probably getting properties. While, while the team kind of handles the day-to-day activities, I'm guessing. So exactly, let's get into that. So you had a real estate background, a brokerage, 
you were doing flipping um and then you decided to start holding the properties but in northern california it's probably i mean to cash flow on a rental property it's probably very very tough i'm guessing <laughs> so yeah you wanted to make more cash flow you had probably I, the cooperative living and things like this are a little more popular in california just because it's starting to become a necessity so you were somewhat familiar with it when did you find uh group home riches you know when was the start of like looking into how to do this thing yeah that was probably end of 2020 early 2021 and that's when i got my first that's when i decided to turn a flip into this type of home because i heard of somebody in phoenix doing it i know there's a lot of group homes and, and stuff in phoenix but those same organizations that they were partnering with did not operate locally in california so i had to like i felt like i was figuring it all out from scratch and that's when i connected with you guys perfect and so you got a deal did you buy the property first or did you kind of start doing the networking and stuff before you got the property? So we actually changed course mid renovation. I was actually, I ended up buying one of my listings. They just wanted to get their, there was a tax law change in California. Uh, they wanted to get their money out of California so they could pass along their property to their kids without having to pay this big estate tax. So they dropped the price 50 grand. And I was like, if you're going to do that, I'll buy it. And found it. I had a private lender who funded the purchase and the renovation. And uh, I knew we would build in about 100,000 in equity pretty quickly. So we did. Yeah, December 2020, I bought that property. We put maybe 30,000 into it. Uh, and it was worth about 140,000 more, like within six weeks. And we refinanced out and kept that property. And while we were doing the work during that six weeks, I was connecting with everyone in my local area on how to run this model. And actually, the reason I ended up getting into sober living and not doing something like veterans or domestic violence house or you know something different is I happened to call up the person who runs our local homeless shelter and ask, do you have any use for a single family home? I have one that's going to be ready in just a few weeks. Like we're fixing it up. It's going to be beautiful. And I don't want it to be just a traditional long-term rental. And she said, and she happened to be the head of like the chair of housing first, which is a HUD organization. It's like a, a HUD program that does just this transitional housing, how to get people off the streets and into homes. And she knew everybody because she was the chair of this committee. I just got lucky with like finding the right person. And she introduced me to this whole idea of sober living and who I needed to talk to in the community and all these different programs. And by the time that the house was ready, it was like two weeks later and we had our first placements. I love it. <laughs> so a big, a big lesson in there, and you probably see it in our content all the time. We tell people the very first step, if you want to do this is exactly what you did. So for the folks listening out there, I want you to notice, you know, Andrew didn't wait till he was an expert on this. He didn't wait till he knew, you know, the answers to all the questions before he started reaching out to people. And what was that phone call like when you made, you know, that first connection? Was it hard? Did it seem like you needed to sell her on, on what you were doing? Or, or what was that like? Because a lot of people are kind of scared to do what you just did. Yeah, I'd say it's one of the easiest calls to make because honestly, these are people who are looking for someone like us to say, I have a place, I have 
the house that I can provide to you guys. I just need the, the introductions. Um, so I feel like when I called and said, Hey, I have this house coming up and I have another one coming up a couple months later, you know, could you use this? It was absolutely. Let me plug you in. Let's like get you connected to these people. Like they did all the heavy lifting for me. I just needed to bring them what they were looking for, which was more housing. There it is folks. <laughs> you hear us say it all the time, but that's the first step. You know, these people, they get, they work for organizations, they get a ton of funding to solve, you know, these problems in the community. And, you know, when you do make the calls, when you do speak with the right people, it's almost like you pretty much had a new best friend, right, Andrew? Yeah, they still like they refer their clients to us. But they also connected me to like six other organizations that refer their clients to us. So it was great. Yep. All right. Very cool. So you contacted, you know, probably it was probably like a nonprofit or some organization connected with HUD, which is a government yeah. organization that if it's the continuum of care program, you know, that budget is like in the billions, you know, overall. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of saw, you asked what the need was in the community. It sounds like, right? Exactly. And I kept asking that and I still ask that because sometimes it changes. Mm-hmm. So I'm just always curious and I tend to ask, how can we add value? How can we help you? What type of housing do you need? Do you need housing for men? Do you need housing for women and children? Like what is needed in each specific city? Cause it's, it is vastly different. Like the calls they get one month might be different from the calls they get the next month. And we've even had like county probation has come to us saying, Hey, could you open this type of home in this area? And we've just developed that relationship where now they can call me and say, Hey, this is what we need. And I can go and provide that. That's an amazing frame to have for, again, for the beginners out there listening to this, they uh, keep that frame of mind and know what he just said. Even to this day, he's been doing it for, you know, he's got a couple properties, so he kind of knows the drill, but he still comes with that frame of mind. Like, Hey, what do you need? How can we serve you? And if you are a beginner, that's a great way to learn, right? So, so let's kind of rewind to that first property. What was it like? What were kind of like the first steps that you needed to take after you made that first, you know, call and had that connection and, and the property was like almost, almost ready to roll? Yeah. For us, I guess just the way our area does it, there's a lot of local government agencies that get funding. Uh, for their respective clients and they do all the outpatient treatment and they take care of everything. We just provide the housing and they pay a good amount of money to make sure that we can provide the housing and the, and cover you the utilities, but it also has to be furnished. So I just needed to furnish the property and then meet with some specific people from those programs who just did a quick walkthrough, made sure we were good, made sure, you know, that what we said was, was real completely fixed up homes, stainless steel appliances, you know, beautiful properties. Honestly, when they walked in, the case managers were like, can I rent this? Do you have another one for me? Like I knew when we got that reaction, we were not going to have a problem because they realized we weren't just slumlords trying to throw people into a property. We really cared about uh, everybody who came in feeling a sense of dignity and pride. And we just did two to a room. So a lot of people do try to do like three or four to a room. I didn't want anyone feeling like they were still in jail. And actually, this is because I had a conversation with the lady who runs a shelter. And she was like, people are, you know, out there. Sometimes they try to charge way too much and, you know, this much or that. And 
she just had a very clear take on like how to do it the right way. And I knew that if she was feeling that way, some other people who control funding might feel that way. So I just wanted to kind of fit their box essentially so that we would fill up right away. We've kind of gone to the edge a little bit on what that looks like today. Like in our masters, we might put it in a third bed or get something with additional units and fill those up too. But I wanted to make sure that the people controlling funding were super happy when they first met with us so that we could fill up right away. I didn't want to like fight a battle just to get people in the home. I love it. That strategy, how did it, can you describe kind of like the word of mouth and how that worked out for you as far as the networking and referrals went? Yeah, it was really easy. And it's a question I ask a lot. So it's, she was super helpful, uh, the director of that shelter which is a nonprofit and she connected me to people. But then when I met with them, like when people came for the walkthroughs, I always ask the question, who do you know that I need to know? Like, are there other programs? Are there other case managers? How do I talk to the people who are actually going to be sending the referrals and not just you? Like, I love you. And I want to have a relationship with everybody who can make the decision to send someone here. Uh, and that actually culminated in like our County probation office they called me and my house manager in to meet with every single case manager face-to-face -face in one of their weekly meetings. So instead of just being this thing by email, like we have personal one-on-one -on -one relationships. And I ended up collecting all of their emails. And on a weekly basis, I send them updates on how many openings we have, if we're having a new home opening up so we could build a waiting list, um, all of that stuff. So I just, I really care about that relationship because I think in market research, that is the number one thing you can do build a relationship with everyone who can possibly refer people to you and you'll never be empty. And you can always ask that question. How can I add value? How can I serve? And they'll never forget about you either. Like I'm constantly on their mind saying I'm here and we have seven houses now. Like, tell me what you need. Seven houses in three different cities so that no matter where your client is, we can fill that need. Love it. So you mentioned the email and collecting contacts and everything like that. About how many contacts do you have on your marketing list? Locally, we have about 50. 50 who can truly make a difference. Like I try to weed the people out who can't make a decision. But what's interesting is I have people now wanting to partner. And so we just did a marketing list in LA, which was a big homelessness problem. I got a list of 245 people there. And I sent out an email and kind of leveraged what we currently do with some pictures. And within a week already received a referral. We don't even have a house yet, but people are already like sending us clients. Oh, yeah. So I had to scramble and like find a place for them. But you know, if you can get 30 plus, probably going to be fine. 50 for us is is plenty. Those are actual case managers who have direct contact with clients they can send our direction. Perfect. So like confirmed 50 people, we call them solid referral sources like that. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. So you mentioned the, uh, the partnership in LA. I want to get into that, but like these first properties, I'm just going to kind of ask like the general questions for, for the newbies out there. The first one that we get, and you probably get as well, you know, in the Facebook group asking you this, what license did you need to get in order to provide this type of housing? Absolutely none. No license, no certification. And we've had people walk through the homes. And if we needed one, they would have said, hey, you need this. But no, it's uh, as long as you're providing the 
their requirements. Pretty simple, just furnishings and making sure they're, you know, dry, maybe some dry pantry items, things like that. You're good to go. There we go. So, <laughs> so you just got the house, made the connections and got people in there. No certification needed, no licensing, nothing like that. And, you know, you're providing it's sober housing. So the people, your tenants, they probably do need like counseling and treatment and stuff like that. So can you kind of explain how does that work? How do the people get those services that they need? Yeah. So they get it through the programs that they're in who are funding their stay with us. So they are in outpatient treatment. They're getting the either the substance disorder help or mental health disorder help that they need through their funding source. We don't have to provide any of it. We're just doing the housing and maybe a little transportation here and there. And that's actually what allows us to not need a license. If we were doing any of that or providing more support services, we would have to be licensed in California. But because we're just doing the housing, we don't need to be. Beautiful. And again, Andrew is in, he's located in California, but folks, it works like that nationwide. So there's federal housing laws that are on the books that we adhere to. It's all covered in the gold course. But, you know, again, just he's a walking example of this. There's no licensing required. As you could see, it didn't take, you know, took you way longer to get your real estate license to practice real estate, right? Than to do this. <laughs> he just it he actually had, did, yeah. <laughs> he had the property coming online, made a phone call, and was basically in business. Okay. Now you mentioned earlier you have your brokerage, you're doing real estate investing, you have seven of these properties. Uh, why don't you go into some of the like the systems that you have in place and your team to make it to where you don't have to work 24-7? So yeah. Um, What's that look like? What's the team look like? You know, how do you manage seven of these things along with all the other stuff that you got going on? Great question. So initially, I mean, it was all me. Like we just had a house and a contract and me. So I was going to the houses every single day. I didn't know how to screen people properly. I didn't know anything. I learned all this as time went on. And I had to be there daily because there were some referrals, some people who moved in who I never should have let move in. Eventually, I realized, man, we need a system, we need a process. So I'd go into the Facebook group and see, okay, what questions are you asking during intake and, and that kind of stuff. And I would apply it to my business, started asking better questions, making sure things were good to the point where I didn't need to show up as much because now we had much better acclimated individuals in our homes. But for the first two or three houses, it was just me. I soon realized I don't need to be there all the time if I set up a camera. Now I'm good. Now I know when people are coming and going. So we installed ring video doorbells and cameras at all the exits and then in the main living areas. So I could see, like, you know, we're watching is someone stealing food? Are they coming and going? Like, who's coming to the house? Are they trying to bring a guest or not? Because we have rules. Like, they can't bring a guest they, unless it's a case manager or actual spouse, like things like that. So those are the systems we started putting in place. We have keypad door locks where I can text somebody a code. I can revoke the code at any time. I can make the code uh, time-based so that after curfew or before curfew, they can't use the code at all. And then it tells me if they try to, so I can tell if they're like outside after curfew. These are the simple things we put in place so that I didn't need to be present all the time. Beautiful. And you mentioned the house rules. So 
you know, for let's say there's a landlord out there looking into this stuff and they've done real estate before, they've had rentals, they're, you know, it's kind of imagine what's playing out in their head, right? <laughs> so you have mm-hmm. you have two beds, uh, how many bedrooms? Uh, typically it's a four bed, two bath. So we're talking about, you know, seven or eight people per property, roughly, right? I'd say in a four bedroom, eight, eight or nine, because I might okay. have three in the master bedroom. So eight or nine tenants. <laughs> Collections must be a nightmare then, right? Because the people are trying to get sober. They're probably not necessarily qualified to rent on their own. Can you kind of break down, you know, what is that like? How are you getting paid from these people? Yeah. Uh, 90% of the time they are in some kind of program that's funding their stay with us, which allows them to get a job and save up and be able to move into more permanent housing later. So it's really simple. We just bill the program. For us, That the majority of the programs do pay in arrears. So you just tell them, hey, this person moved in on the 12th, they stayed through the 31st, or you know, the following month, they were here the whole month and we bill a full amount. But it takes eh, three to six weeks to get paid by the program. But we like the programs because they send us a constant flow of people and they pay kind of double what anyone would pay on their own out of pocket. Because typically, uh, folks in this situation just aren't getting much more than like social security or disability income, which is less than a thousand bucks a month. There we go. So (laughs) collections is not a nightmare because you're getting it uh, guaranteed and it's kind of indirectly via the government. So the government funds these organizations. Like we say, there's literally billions that goes into this type of funding. California gets a large, large chunk of that because it's such a big issue there. And then these organizations are paying Andrew directly. So it's not like he needs to chase down, you know, 30 people that are, you know, recovering from alcoholism or drugs or anything like that. He's getting a guaranteed check for the most part. True. And a lot of these people are coming out of let's call it residential treatment programs. They've been clean for like 90 plus days. They're actually not in a horrible spot where they're like just fresh off the street. Like they've been working towards it and proving that they really want to get better. So it's not really difficult for us. There were times when we first started where I didn't know what I was doing and I was marketing on Facebook marketplace and just getting whoever. And that's when I really had to be there a lot. I've dealt with my fair share of dealing with drunk people, cleaning up bodily fluids, all of that. After the first six months of doing that and learning the hard way, it's never been that that problem again. Like it's so smooth now. Nice. Let's talk about that. You know, let's give them the good, the bad and the ugly too. So you know, you mentioned the house rules. Why don't you kind of go into a little bit more detail? Like, what do you mean by that? So are you doing a lease with these people? And then, you know, what happens if they do, you know, they break the house rules, they drink or use drugs or anything like that? How do you handle yeah, that? Yeah, um, so we do have rules in place for a reason. They, they need to know that we actually stand by calling it a sober living home. So it means it needs to be a safe, drug-free, alcohol-free environment. What's cool is that means anyone could live there. They don't have to be in recovery. They just have to be sober. So we've had people from all walks of life, which is really cool, but they need to abide by our curfew. Um, Lights are out at 11 o'clock. The kitchen's closed at eight o'clock. Like they need to basically just be good roommates. Uh, No violence, no threats of violence, no bringing, you know, random guests over, no girlfriends or anything like that. And as long as they're abiding by those rules, and doing like chores because they, they need to do chores for the house as well, then we're good. If they break the rules, if they are found to 
have relapsed and they're, you know, drinking or high or something, we give them the chance to go to detox. There's a facility that can help them come down off of that and get back clean. And if they do that, then we'll allow them back in the house. If they don't, they have to move out because we have to maintain the sober living part. Right. So just to kind of, to recap for the folks out there. So it's not like a typical lease, right? You're not leasing Correct. your property to, you know, eight or nine individuals. There's, we call it the tenant agreement in the gold course. You're probably using that or something similar, correct? Yeah. So it's, we call it a license agreement. They get a license to a bed and they have to follow the rules to keep that license. If for whatever reason, uh, they're not treating their housemates properly, they're not listening to us, or they've relapsed and they're not trying to get better. We're able to revoke that license at any time. I've very rarely had to call the cops uh, to get someone out. But on the times where we have, we've just shown them the license and they handle it. They understand this type of housing. It's been around a long time in California and it's not a civil issue. Like if you don't have that license agreement, they'll say, oh, it's a civil issue. You have to evict. But when you do have this license agreement, they literally have waived their tenants' rights or any kind of squatters' rights and they have no right to be in the home. So we don't have issues having to evict anybody. Bingo. So to kind of break it down, what Andrew's doing, what we do, most of our members do, we're not leasing a property to these folks. All we're doing is simply licensing space. And you know, you could draft something up on your own, or if you have the gold course, you can use the same one that we use. So in that tenant agreement or licensee agreement, it's basically just the house rules written in legalese, right? So mm -hmm. <laughs> it says right on there, like, look, if you break these rules, if you cause problems, if you're arguing, you know, you, if technically if they don't clean up after themselves, we have the right to ask them to leave. If they don't leave, they're considered trespassing. And that that's the gist of it. And that's one of those things that holds a lot of people back. You know, what happens if the people break the house rules? You know, you do need to be a stern business owner, right? You know, what happens at a hotel if someone's breaking the rules and the staff goes and asks the person to leave? Nine times out of 10, they're just going to leave, right? Yep. And yeah, same, you know, plays out the same way with Andy, you know, nine times out of 10, when they leave, when they're told to leave, they leave. Also, you're working with like organizations and caseworkers. Do you kind of go through them whenever there's an issue like that? Yeah. And, and we never want to make someone homeless. So we try to work with them as much as we can. We call the caseworker or the probation officer. We try to get them involved. Many times, you know, they'll have a sit down. We'll try to work out whatever it is. In the majority of the time, like 99% of the time, things work out. It's, it's very rare where we have to have any conversation of like, hey, you're, you're terminated. You're out of here. Like they kind of see the writing on the wall if we've had, you know, a week's worth of conversations with their PO or their caseworker and it's not working out. Like they're sometimes they just leave on their own at that point. Exactly. And you hit the nail on the head. Even though, you know, that licensee slash tenant agreement is written heavily in your favor and you could, you know, kick somebody out like if they, you know, lights don't go out at eleven, right? That doesn't mean that you want to. That's just kind of there to protect yourself. And, but at the end of the day, we are doing this to help people and you hit it right on the head. You know, we don't want to make people homeless. So, you know, if you do have issues with the tenant, 
if you follow the marketing like we teach, you're going to be working with caseworkers. So they, they're kind of like the go-between. And yeah, you, you just you work with these people. But if there is a problem tenant and they don't you know, fix the issue, then you always have that right to just, you know, you don't have to go through the eviction process. You literally just ask them to leave just like a hotel or just like an Airbnb. Yeah. So what, uh, I'm curious, what were some of the things that you changed in your intake process to make things go smoother? You mentioned it kind of in the beginning, it was, it was a little bit more hectic. <laughs> what were some of the systems or like changes that you did to kind of make things go smooth like they are now? Yeah. So we set up one phone number to where, you know, anybody can call and that number is going to ring myself and my house manager, who honestly is less of a house manager and more of like a program director because she oversees all seven properties and all, I guess, 60 or so of our residents. But if it doesn't ring her, then it hits me. And so we're never missing a phone call or, or, you know, an opportunity to help somebody. And we're asking questions. We're asking, you know, what have they been doing the last 30 days? Like, where are they coming from? Do they have a plan? Like, how long are they planning to be here? Do they have a job? What's their drug of choice? If they are in recovery, how long have they been sober? Like, how many clean days do they have? And depending on that, we might put them on a seven-day blackout, meaning for the first week, they can just go to work or church or meetings. They can't do anything else. They, they need to be back home so they can get acclimated. And then after that, they can, you know, do whatever they want, hang out with friends, all the other stuff. We just, we want to kind of, have a little control and let them just settle down and be in our space. That's really the bulk of it. Oh, and if they're on any kind of medication, because the first guy we ever had had really bad PTSD, we had no idea. Like, I didn't know the questions to ask. I didn't know that there is something called post-release community supervision, which is not for people coming out of jail, but people coming out of prison. <laughs> and so we had like some hardcore guys who were in prison for a long time moving in scaring everybody else off. And I didn't know what question to ask about like, what's this person's background? And now we know, and we don't have as many of those people from that background. So it's just, you know, you learn what questions to ask you because no one's going to volunteer that information. Like the person's job when they call you is to just get that person housing. So they don't want to tell you a whole bunch of stuff that will, that will lead you to be like, nah, that's not going to work for us. So you have to learn how to like advocate for yourself and make sure that you're doing what's best for you. Very cool. And I'm just curious, do you do, are you doing like background checks, credit checks or anything like that? No, we just don't need to. And honestly, like we already know they're probably not in a good spot. A lot of people move in, they need to go and get their driver's license back. Like I'm not expecting them to be stellar tenants. I'm just laying down the law at the beginning saying, these are our rules. This is what happens if you break the rules. Like at this point, we drug test about weekly now. We didn't used to. It was really easy for other people in the house to be like, yo, this person's using. Now we have so many people, we kind of have to lay down the law at the beginning and let them know this is a real thing. So we test them as soon as they move in. And then it actually saves us from having to test later on. We're just being proactive because they know it's not a place where they can get away with stuff. But yeah, it's uh, there's just a lot we've learned over time to where now it's it's a process. It's a super simple system. I don't need to stop by any houses at all unless I want to, and everything just gets handled by our house manager. Let's talk about that. Uh, break down the house manager. Um, how did you find that person? You know, what role do they play? Yes, she does everything. So I would say it was myself for a long time. And then it was yeah, a long time, six months. And then I actually ended up bringing it on like a volunteer. 
to somebody who had worked in houses like this for eight years, worked with a couple of other homes in the area. And there's like 30 in the area, maybe. But we quickly just grew and became the go-to spot because we provided so many beds so fast. Like 2021, I bought five places and opened them up. Three in our city, one in the next city over, and then one on the other side of the county to make sure that the whole county was covered with the housing that was needed. Again, that came from asking people, where should we put homes? And they were like, well, we need one here, one there, and, and over here. The need was so big in my city, that's why I opened up two immediately, and then a third and a fourth, and now a fifth in my one town. Uh, it was just underserved with this type of housing. So my house manager, I found her through a referral. And it was actually a, a case manager for a program who was like, you need to talk with this person. She has been in recovery herself for five years, had actually lived in homes like this for four years, was in the process of buying her first house, worked as a housing navigator at a local hospital for like young adults, basically, if they're homeless, helping them get into places like ours. So she already like knew everybody, had been in it herself, and it was a great like case study of how to go from somebody who was like a high risk individual, like always in jail, to completely changing her life and not wanting to give back. She's a, a registered drug and alcohol treatment provider. She was just like the perfect person. And because she had all these other jobs as well that didn't take up too much time, I was able to to have her be on a low salary and then get paid a percentage of profit. Okay. Um, and what she does is she handles everything. She answers the phone. She did, she does the intake. She sends them the door codes. She stops by uh, several times a week and just to make sure they're doing their chores. And her background as being in recovery herself and being a registered drug and alcohol treatment provider, she can have conversations that are on their level. Like the first person we had was more of like a really nice lady closer to her 70s super sweet grandma, but couldn't give anyone tough love. And our house manager now is just like really helping people get jobs, move forward, motivational interviews. Like he knows how to, to, how to deal with this demographic. And it's, it's been great. Perfect. So you found someone whose personality, she probably really enjoys the day-to-day activities and like working with the people directly. Yeah. And you're just kind she of focusing, you're just focusing on like the real estate at this point, right? Exactly. So I've been able to get like out of the day to day and, you know, once a month we do billing, but I'm able to really focus on like the bigger picture. How much do we want to grow this? Who else can we help? Building more relationships with different organizations. Like I'm still finding more. We just got approved for two more programs. Like it it just doesn't stop. So the more we can help people, the more I can get plugged into the community or other communities now that people want to partner with us and just like have us run this model for them if they're a landlord, I'm able to like really network and do that instead of dealing with, you know, oh, there was a fight at this house. I have to go break that up. (laughs) As far as like the day-to-day, you know, the day-to-day activities, managing like the tenants and everything like that about how much, you know, how much time do you think you put in per week on those activities? For me, it's just, I'm honestly just getting text messages from our manager I don't have to to do anything anymore. She handles it. So, I mean, you're going to get 11 o'clock midnight phone calls. You're going to get, you know, 5 a.m. phone calls. That used to be me. Now that's her. And she wants to give and she wants to, honestly, she probably creates more work for herself because she just wants to be at the houses and talking with our residents and helping them move forward. There we go. So whenever I have Andy on the podcast, I always ask him, hey, 
how long do you spend, you know, last month? And he's like, I don't know, like a half hour, but this is it folks. So Andrew has a, a house manager. Are you doing like a house supervisor role at the properties as well? Kind of like we eyes are. on the ground. Okay. Yeah. So in each property we have one or two people, we actually implemented two so that there wasn't one person everyone can hate. Because <laughs> like if idea. you are in that role, sometimes they're like, oh, you're just a snitch. So we actually implemented a house leader because anyone can be a leader, but not everyone can be a manager or supervisor in California, like employment law matters. So we don't want to call people those titles, but a leader is great. They kind of just oversee the house. There are eyes and ears. And then there's a chore monitor who just makes sure all the chores are getting done and they're doled out fairly. So like no one's on a power trip because we've had to deal with that too. Just different personalities who handle being called a house leader in a weird way. So now we have two people in each location, uh, but they're not paid. They get like special privileges, like they can park in the driveway. There's just different things they can do. Like if we, we got a partnership with the food bank, so we were able to go and like go to the food bank, gather stuff for the houses, bring it back. So those two people would come and help pick out everything for the whole house. Like they get a say in what they're going to eat, all that kind of stuff. Or a $25 gift card. It's not something you have to pay anyone for. And usually they're the last people we're going to give a roommate because we want them to feel a little extra privilege in lieu of some kind of cash payment. Are you giving them like a, a discount on the room or anything like that? Not typically, especially if they're in some kind of program. There is one guy who's not in any program. He's private pay. We do give him a discount and he's got his own spot, but I literally never have to go to that house. He does such a good job. That's awesome. So that makes your housing manager's life a lot easier. So yes, folks, just to kind of recap, He's getting guaranteed checks for the most part. He has a licensee agreement that's protecting him and you know laying down the house rules. The intake process, he's kind of smoothed out. So you know he's not bringing in problem tenants from the beginning, right? He has cameras at the property that are going to help his housing manager kind of oversee everything. And on top of that, he has not one, but two, what we, you know, the housing supervisors, which are basically, you know, glorified tattletales for the most part, you know, if we're, mm -hmm. if we're being blunt, right? <laughs> it's true. And, you know, he's able to do this, you know, we'll talk numbers here in, in a second. We don't need to go through specifics, but have you ever done any like just straight rental properties before? Or did you, you started with this, right? So we did have one, my first house I ever bought, we bought in 2017. And then the next year, our family grew. We bought a different house and turned this one into a rental. And it was cash flowing pretty well. I mean, I think it was early 2021 came along. We refinanced. And what was a like 4% interest rate dropped to like a 2.75. And all of a sudden, we were cash flowing 600 bucks a month, which in California is not bad at all. That but is, I did the math. <laughs> that is that is an absolute like monster home run deal. Just for folks yeah. who are listening, who are not like familiar, a six hundred dollar per month deal is like a monster. <laughs> and for you know, I bought that with an FHA loan, so I put three and a half percent down on. Honestly, it was like the cheapest house available when we bought it. Like three sixty five is what we paid for it. But it's you know, I looked at the numbers, and now that house is insane. It's bringing in about eleven thousand gross per month in gross rents and. After our, our mortgage and utilities and paying our house manager, 
It's about eight thousand a month in cash flow. There we go. <laughs> that's what that's what I was getting to. So thank you for providing like the specific details. But you know, folks out there that are just kind of listening and new to this, this is why you're able to kind of put all these systems in place, which you can't really do with normal rentals. In theory, you could, you know, you could outsource to a property management company, but they're going to take typically, you know, 10% of the market rent, which most of the time eliminates the cash flow, right? So Uh, when you're bringing in the growth, (laughs) when you have $11,000 per property to work with, then you can do these kinds of things. You know, you can, you can have one or two house supervisors or leaders as you call them and give them additional perks. You can take on a man, someone to do the management and kind of, we will typically, it's almost like a partnership deal, but it sounds like you remind me your house, the manager, what do you call her? The housing manager that handles all the yeah, activities. Uh, she, she's, she's a house manager. I guess you can call her like an operations manager, but she handles the all the day to day. Yeah. So, but you have all this operational income to where you could give her a salary and then does she give any type of like commission on top of that? She gets a salary and a, a percent of profit. So I like deduct utilities and expenses, our you know, debt service or our mortgage payments as well. But the cash flow, like she gets a percent of that. So it's almost like a partnership. Awesome. Yeah. Andy will do kind of similar deals with his, we call them the operational managers. But yeah, folks, when you're bringing in $11,000 per property, you could, that, that kind of gives you some wiggle room. Right. (laughs) And yes, it does. You know, this kind of another question, you know, why would you even get into this? Why not just do rentals? At the end of the day, it's an amazing business and he's netting 8K on one property where before he was netting 600. It's a, you know, over 10X. (laughs) Have you ever run your numbers and figured out what the ROI is, like what your cash on cash return is or anything like that? Oh, yeah. What's cool is the way we purchased some of these properties, like this first one, we bought for 400000 We put thirty or thirty five into it, but we were able to refinance out and literally pulled all of our cash out. So it's infinite. Yeah. <laughs> but then also, like, there's somewhere we did have some money into it. And, you know, I have a little deal calculator. <laughs> it's like, and people are, they don't get it. It's like a 238% cash on cash return and like a 22% cap rate. Like it's just, the numbers are ridiculous. It's off the charts. It's why we don't talk about it because it sounds so ridiculous. Like, you know, imagine Mm -hmm. you as a real estate investor, if you saw that immediately, what would you think? Yeah. You're like something, they're they're not telling me something, something's wrong because it it just doesn't scam. (laughs) But you're familiar with like, uh, you know, the real estate forums, bigger pockets and things like that. Yes. A lot of investors, if someone says they got a 20% return on a deal, they'll be, oh, you're lying. You're making that up. That's not true. Right. So, yeah. you know, go in there and do a numbers breakdown, showing them how you made 238X. <laughs> they would just be like, nah, this is a scam. But again, just another walking example of why this works, guys. So, just to kind of to recap, it's been, so you're, it's only been about two years that you started. Yeah, March twenty twenty one. So yeah, two years exactly. Seven properties in two years, monster. And you can kind of folks out there, you know, do the math. You broke down the numbers on the one property, and at this point, you know, he has his systems in place. Uh, really, 
it's not completely passive, right? I mean, you're going to need to watch the books. You kind of need to manage your managers. But at this point, it sounds like you're just working on your networking connections and focusing on like the real estate stuff, right? Yeah. And I'd say always connecting with more referral sources because things change, people come and go. And when you're working on relationships and you've, you know, invested a year into somebody and then they leave their position and now there's someone new, like there's constant building relationships and figuring that out. And it's not all sunshine and rainbows. We've had times where, you know, our house emptied out. We had like just December, we had 10 people move out, which was great. They moved on to better things, but we didn't get as many referrals the next month. And so our cash flow was down. Now it came back, but there's ebbs and flows to this business. Occasionally, when you're getting paid by the local government, lots of red tape. Sometimes you don't get paid on time. And, you know, I've had to cover the next month's mortgages on seven properties. That's not always fun. But when you look at the year as a whole, we are making a ton of money. There's times, small windows where it feels terrible. <laughs> but then overall, you're like, man, this is really cool. And no matter what, I get the joy of knowing I'm helping people. And we've probably saved well over a dozen lives by giving someone a safe place when they had nowhere else to go. And that's the real riches folks. You, you know, helping at this point, it's only been almost roughly two years. Probably how many people do you think have been in and out of your property? Like hundreds taken oh probably gosh. hundreds of people off of the street. Yeah. What's interesting is uh, we actually have it, although it's transitional and people are always like, Oh, they're only going to be there a week. Like our average day is probably 10 months. So I'm sure it's over a hundred, but we've had a lot of really great outcomes, like over 60 good outcomes of people who have moved in and then moved out into permanent housing or moving back into the family, not like back out on the street or in rehab or jail. That's awesome. So those are the real riches folks helping people out. And the more people you help, it just, the more money you make and that's it. So man, awesome story great start <laughs> to just two years in seven properties what's the future hold for you what's kind of your next uh what are you focusing on what's the trajectory look like for the next two years the next two years looks like a couple of things we're raising money right now to go out and honestly take us from seven to 70 properties across california and we're working out a partnership model where especially in this environment you know interest rates or 8% if you're looking at an investment property these days. We want to partner with people who already have the real estate and want to take their current poor cash flow and double or triple it by partnering with them and running this model. So we've had a few people raise their hands. We're building out that model right now. And I imagine we'll be at, we'll probably launch three of those before the summer of this year. And is that a nationwide thing or just in, in California that you're looking to do that? You know, I started thinking California, but I've had some people in the Southeast, in the Northeast, in the South, all inquire. So we're looking at how to make it work everywhere. Excellent. We need to talk more about that because we get inquiries like that all the time from real estate investors that are looking to partner with like our Gold Course members. So, and that's a lesson in there for folks who are just starting out. You know, this business has so many advantages that there are a ton of partnership opportunities. So, you know, 
you don't have to have the real estate experience. You don't have to have the cash to go out and purchase a property. We have a ton of people that get start by partnering with investors. And as you just see, just saw, and you just heard, there are real estate investors reaching out to us, reaching out to people like Andrew. They're looking to partner and, and get into this business. So that's a great way for people to start. You know, if you're kind of check to check or you don't have the real estate experience, you don't have the money to get started. That's how you could do it. So, man, awesome lessons. Great story. I look forward to watching this thing go from seven to 70. <laughs> and I have no doubt that that could be done in, within like the next year or two. So it's going to be awesome to see. Definitely have to come on for a part two so we can hear the update on that very soon. Yeah, I would love to. So as we mentioned, you know, you're pretty active in the Facebook group. As you know, the B people have a ton of questions out there, right? So hopefully we answered a lot of those on the podcast. I think we did a pretty good job of just covering the basics here and and also just showing the uh, the possibility with this business, right? So, but where can people find you? Where could if they have questions for you, where could they get a hold of you? Yeah, you could always find me on Instagram at the Andrew Lamb or at Sober Living Riches dot com, which is more of my journey and taking the gold course from group home riches and just explaining how I did it in a sober living niche and systemized it and you know built out a model to where anyone can kind of replicate what we've done in a short period of time wherever they are. And it is a great business. It's easily replicatable. There's systems in place. You know, we've kind of talked about the financial and the, and just the, you know, the spiritual riches that come with this as well. So if you have any direct questions for Andrew, you know, hit them up on Instagram, check out the website. If folks are just, you know, stumbling onto this and just listening to it, head to groupholmriches.com, sign up for the free training material, check us out on all iTunes, Spotify, wherever podcasts are played. Also YouTube, we put out a ton of free content, folks. So, and even, you know, you can email us if you have questions. So we're here to help. We love hearing stories like this, people like Andrew taking what we teach and running with it. And if it does sound like something that you do want to do, you're serious about it, bare minimum, sign up for the gold course again at grouphomeriches.com. At the time of recording with your purchase, you have access to the Facebook group, <laughs> which is, you know, at this point, massive community, over 2000 people in there. Honestly, you could probably learn everything that you need in the business just in that group. Would you say, would you agree, Andrew? 100%. That search function and the ability to see what, you know, everyone posted, like the tools we use in our business today came from recommendations in that Facebook community. Yeah, I love it. We learn stuff from that every day at this point. So yeah, massive value. And at the time of the recording, folks, the gold course is only 199 bucks, you know, no recurring fees or anything like that. We really do try to give a ton of value in there. So if you are serious about it, definitely sign up for the gold course. Man, Andrew, ton of value. Thank you so much for coming on. And we look forward to uh, seeing the story get bigger. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And thank you guys for putting this content out there. I would not be where I am today without having found you. So appreciate all you're doing. I love it, man. And we do it for people like you that take it and run with it. So thank you so much. All right. Have a good one. All right, brother. You too.